Amen. Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we will start with verse 23. First Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Praise God. Looks like everybody's got it. That's hard to tell you. It comes right before 2 Corinthians. Thought that might help some of you. Looks like, brother. All right, you found it. All right, that helped, didn't it? Knowing it came before 2 Corinthians, that helped. All right. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. Apostle Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, before I go any farther, let me just throw this out there. I want to show you something here tonight. Verse 23 says, The same night in which Jesus was betrayed. He did this. And Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew, you can tell by the conversation he has with his disciples, the fact that he looked at Judas and said, what you do, do quickly. And he made the statement, one of you this night shall betray me. He knew what was coming. And yet there was no anger, there was no bitterness, there was no hatred in his heart even knowing what somebody was about to do. And yet he could participate in this knowing someone was going to turn him over that very night to be crucified. Lord, help us to have that kind of attitude and spirit. We get our feelings hurt if somebody doesn't shake our hand. And here Judas was going to go out that night And deliver him to be crucified. And yet the Lord still could partake of communion without any problem. In fact, he did a lot more praying after communion than what he did before. You read about about it in, in John chapter 13 and then you can read chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. It's all prayers and that's after supper is over. And then he goes from there into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays again. And spends about three hours praying there. So he did a lot more praying after communion than he did before. So this is why I say we shouldn't shouldn't come to church with this apprehension and, and worrying about we've got something in our heart that we've got to get cleaned out. All that should be taken care of. We ought to live with that taken care of. All right, that's sermon number one. Uh, So we just read verse 24 uh, or 23. 24 says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood 
of the Lord. Now, we're going to deal with that in a few moments, so don't get too hung up on that. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Amen. Praise God. We're going to stop right there, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I said a while ago, we want to pray for those that are sick tonight. And we want to pray for the Nelson family, pray for the Albritton family. We want to pray for the selves. Little Ollie is sick. We want to pray for him. Amen. And um, everyone else that is sick and or quarantined, uh, we want to be praying for all of them. And uh, this is this is... One time when I almost wish, oh, what's his name really was a true prophet um, that blew coronavirus away, you know. And yeah, 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 whatever his name was. He's a false prophet, I'll say that. And um, if he wants to sue me for defamation, he can, because I think I can prove in court that he's a false prophet. I believe I'll win that case. That'd be one I'd be looking forward to. Praise God. But anyhow, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, thank God you don't know. Uh, it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. But anyhow, I almost wish he was right on that one. I wish he could have just blown it away and it would all be over with, but he didn't. And it's still around. But we want to be praying as we pray tonight for the remainder of the service. We do want to pray for all of those that are sick, those that are in quarantine. And we want to pray that God will heal the body and bring the body back together again. We need everybody. We need all hands on deck for the days ahead. And we need God to bring healing and, uh, and take care of this situation. So let's, uh, we want to also pray for Brother Toby. And uh, we thank God for the progress that's, that's been made. We're thankful for that. And uh, it's just a, it's, I, I believe, I believe it's a trick of the devil to do it. And we're just praying that God will completely heal him and restore him. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So let's pray for him. And seem like I'm forgetting others. That's why I shouldn't start calling names. But, but anyhow, hopefully they'll understand I'm an old man. And I just get forgetful. So let's pray for all of these needs right now. Let's pray for the remainder of this service. Let's ask God to have his way through the remainder of this service. Lord Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you right now. Lord God, I ask for the touch of the Holy Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's praise him one more time before you're seated. Let's praise the Lord, everybody. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. 
love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As I said, I'm probably going to skip over some of these passages. Brother Goff, I know you're back there running uh, sound and putting scriptures up. And I'm probably going to skip over some of these tonight uh, for time's sake. But, um, but bear with me. I'd like to ask everyone to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. This is Bible study time. And so I want you to use your Bibles during this time of Bible study. And those of you, if there are anyone listening online, why don't you get your Bible and follow along with us as we go through this Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read... Um, I see an amen already from Brother Nelson. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's there. Thank you, brother. Amen. And we are praying God's going to touch and heal you and your wife. Amen. And this is going to pass. We need you folks around here. Praise God. Amen. Mark chapter 14 and uh, verse number 16. The Bible says that the disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. The Passover. This is what I want to say to you tonight, that what we're doing is not really something that, um, that originated with the New Testament church. It really is based upon something that was going on in the Old Testament. This was a celebration of the Passover. That's what was going on. And you can see that here in verse 16. The disciples went and made ready the Passover. And then we skip down to verse 22. Amen. I've got a reader up here. I forgot. I'm reading, doing all the reading. You're falling down on your job. Praise God. Read for me. Verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Yes. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. All right, so the reason why I had him read those verses is because you see chronologically, verse 16, they're getting ready for Passover. And then verses 22 through 24, this is what they're doing, is what we today call communion. This was uh, the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, uh, some folks call it. But, but it really was, this was not a new thing. This was not something that they were unfamiliar with. The Lord wasn't instituting a new practice. He was building on an ancient practice, the celebration of the Passover. You'll remember that the Old Testament Passover came about uh, because it was, uh, it was a time of celebrating the fact that the Israelites had been freed from Egyptian bondage. You'll remember that on that night, God had told them to take a lamb of the first year without spot or blemish, to kill it, and then to apply the blood to the doorpost and eat the flesh of it. And then God said to them, he said, I'm coming down to the camp tonight. I'm, I'm going to pass through the midst tonight. And he said, I'm looking for the application of the blood. And if I see the blood, I will pass over you. There will not be judgment that comes to you because you've got the blood 
applied. Praise God. Amen. And so they didn't just escape Egypt that night. They also escaped death. Because the firstborn in every household where there was not the application of blood died that night. All the way from Pharaoh's house down, the firstborn died if the blood was not applied. Praise God. Amen. That's what happened with the first Passover. And then in Exodus, and we won't take time to read this tonight, but in Exodus 12, if you are making notes, um, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, uh, God said to the Israelites that this is going to be a memorial unto you, and you're going to keep this feast throughout your generations. Uh, you will keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. God said, this is one feast that's never going to stop. I want you to keep doing this from now on. Now that's an interesting thing when you think about the fact that for the Jews they had to shed the blood of a lamb and we know that Jesus Christ came as the sacrificial lamb of God. And so God said, I want you to keep this ordinance, this celebration of freedom from bondage and death. I want there to be a celebration of this every year. Now, what God did not explain to them at that time is the celebration would change. It would be kept, but it's going to be kept a little differently. Praise God. Because there's no need now to go and slay a lamb. Because the ultimate lamb was slain for us. And his blood was shed. Praise God. And so it was in obedience to this command. And in celebration of this event that Jesus and his disciples observed what we now call the Lord's Supper or communion. We as Gentiles are not here tonight to celebrate Jewish liberation. But we are celebrating freedom from bondage and freedom from death. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. You haven't checked out, have you? You're still, still here tonight. Amen. John chapter 8, verse 36. Read for me. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Yes, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I'm here to tell you that what we're going to do in just a few moments is a celebration. It is a time when we need to stop and think and this is what God was saying to the Israelites. Every year I want you to remember the fact that you once were in bondage. Every year I want you to remember the fact that you used to be slaves but you're not anymore. You are now a, a, a nation that is set free. You're not under the bondage of Egypt and I want you to remember how death came throughout the land but you didn't die I spared you because of the blood and so what we're doing tonight we're not celebrating the fact that the Jews left Egypt we're celebrating the fact that we have left the bondage of sin we're not celebrating the fact that the Jews escaped the death angel on that night we are celebrating the fact that we don't have to die amen it's appointed a man wants to die but I'm here to tell you tonight 
amen the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life we're not going to die like the world dies amen he is giving us freedom and life and that's what we're here to celebrate tonight amen freedom from sin and freedom from death praise God now it is not a coincidence that Christ was crucified the spotless lamb was offered at Passover God did that on purpose in fact let me just tell you something if you haven't figured this out yet God does everything on purpose God doesn't have any accidents God doesn't say whoops Wow, that was neat how that worked out. I didn't intend for that to happen, but it worked out. That's not the way God does it. We've talked about it. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the plan. God had this thing all mapped out from the beginning. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before God even made man, he already had it all laid out. Well, praise God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, amen, it was not an accident that Jesus would be crucified at Passover because really that's what the Jewish Passover was pointing towards. Amen. Well, praise God. Amen. It's pointing towards Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Read for me. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, even Christ our, Passover, our Passover, is sacrificed, is sacrificed for, us. for us. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us us and so the apostle Paul makes it clear that what happened that night in Egypt was really just pointing toward amen what was going to come at Calvary that lamb that they slew back then amen to eat on that night was a symbol of the lamb of God that was going to be slain Amen. And I, I really, I'm telling you, there's such a beautiful study. Uh, some of you may remember when I taught on Pentecost. Uh, we were down in the basement because of uh, something. I don't even know what was going on. It wasn't the COVID shutdown, I don't think. I don't know what was happening. Maybe they were doing work up here. We had to take all the sound equipment down in the basement. I taught that night about the purpose of Pentecost. And I went through and showed you the details of, of how everything worked so perfectly between Mount Sinai and Pentecost and how God was painting a picture and I'm telling you there's a study of Passover that is just as beautiful it's just as intricate when you begin to look at it one of the things that sticks out in my mind is the fact and you can go back and find this but God said to the Israelites that night I want you to slay a lamb and he said if your household is not big enough I don't want any of the lamb to be left over if your household is not big enough amen to consume the entire lamb then you go find somebody else and bring them into the house with you and you enjoy this together now listen that's again not an accident and it's not just a throwaway comment from God 
God was saying something because the lamb that was slain at Calvary is too big for any of us. And God doesn't want us just sitting around enjoying what we felt tonight. It's too big for me. It's too big for my household. God wants me finding somebody else that can come and partake, uh, amen, of this glorious lamb. Well, praise God. Amen. It's another study for another night. But uh, this is what happened. And then, and then we've got to understand that, that with God, with God, just as that lamb represented Christ, and it had to be a spotless lamb, and it had to be a young lamb, and so many things there that were symbolic of Christ to come. And the application of the blood and all of these things were symbols to God. And those symbols meant something to God. Symbols, when God establishes a symbol, it always carries great significance. It really does. This is what I've tried to teach even in Africa. I've, I, some of the things, and I, I don't have time tonight to get into all of this, but even with some of our holiness standards and the things that we do, I'm going to tell you, you have a whole lot more appreciation of those standards when you start understanding the symbols behind them. Well, hallelujah. That's right. Paul talks about some of them, for instance, with a man having uh, uh, long hair. And, and, and Paul says that if a man's got long hair, then, then this is, uh, it is really a symbol in God's eyes of rebellion against authority. That's what he said. And God established that symbol. God established that symbol. Now look. Whether we see long hair on men as a symbol of rebellion or not is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. God does. God does. And so th this is one reason why. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I should never, as a pastor, have to come tell somebody you need a haircut. I, re I shouldn't. Because you need to understand the symbol behind it. And understand that God is looking at this. And whether you think of it this way or not, God looks at it this way. And I don't want God looking at me saying there's rebellion. Same thing we, we get into, we get, and, and I don't want to, I know this is going out over the internet. I want to be very careful tonight. But, but the same thing when you really start studying. I don't have time to go into all of this, but you start studying uh, with jewelry. You understand that God makes some connections with jewelry. God sees it as idolatry. I can prove that in the scripture. So whether you see it as an idol or not, God does. Would you dare to bring a statue of a false god into his house? I would hope not. But that's what people do. Because God sees jewelry in the same way. And I can prove that from the scripture. You just don't have time to get into it. We, we could talk about a lot of things right there. There's a whole lot. God looks down and sees things. Uh, and God puts, he assigns a, a meaning to certain things. And when God makes that assignment, when God establishes that principle, that's the way God sees it. Amen. It's, I've tried to tell these men in Africa, you know, we got a big problem. They, they, uh, 
they, 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 they want to grow all this facial hair. And, and I've tried to tell them, and I've shown them in the scripture, that God told lepers to grow mustaches as a symbol so that anybody from a distance, whether you can see the leprosy on them or not, anybody from a distance can go look and see that facial hair, and God said that's a sign of uncleanness. It's in the Bible, folks. It's in the Bible. And so now we go over there, and I see some of them hadn't shaved, and I say, hmm, looks like some of you came down with leprosy. This is the way God sees it. Whether we see it that way or not, it's the way God sees it. And that's what's important. We can talk about makeup. We can talk about so many things that God, clearly in his word, God makes an association. And once God makes that association, God honors that association. And that's what's happening here, even with communion. I'm not really off the subject here tonight, but, but God honors symbols. We won't read, but you can, you can write down Numbers chapter 28. Numbers chapter 28. Uh, this was the second time that Moses and the children of Israel, as they're wandering in the wilderness, they come to the rock. They don't have any water. The first time that they went, God said, smite the rock, and Moses smote it. They come back around in their wanderings and they're standing at the same place. And God says to Moses, I'm going to give the people water, but I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to speak to it. Well, Moses got mad and he smote it again. Now, now listen, I want to tell you how important. Did God care about that rock? I mean, the rock didn't feel. Rock doesn't have nerve endings. The rock had no idea it had been hit. But that rock was a symbol. The apostle Paul has written to the Corinthians. And, and he said, and in fact this is not in there, but, but let's, let's go get your Bible there. And let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. It's just one chapter before. And uh, let's, let's read verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. I want to show you why this was so important to God. 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, read. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock uh -huh. that followed them. Yes. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Christ. Now, not literally Christ, but it symbolized Christ. And so the first time that they came and they didn't have water, I mean, in fact, what did Jesus say on the last day, the great day of the feast? If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Right? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, I'm going to give you drink. That rock represented Christ. And the first time they came through and found it, Moses smote the rock. And it gave them water. And Jesus Christ was smitten. To give us this living water. Right? But the second time they come to it. God says to Moses. Now you just speak to that rock. And it will give you water. But Moses in his anger. Smote it again. Now I'm going to tell you. In God's eyes. It was a violation of the symbol. That God established. 
That's how important symbols are to God. In fact, uh, this is in your notes, and I said we weren't going to read this passage, we won't read the whole thing, but I do want you to read uh, verses 11 and 12. This is Numbers chapter uh, 20, verses 11 and 12, and I want to show you how God felt about Moses just hitting a rock. This is Numbers chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believed me Because not, you believe me not, to sanctify to me, sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, of Israel. therefore, you, therefore shall not bring you will not bring this congregation into the land, into the land which I have given. Can you imagine? Forty years, Moses only wanted one thing. That was to get to the promised land. And God said, nope, you're going you're gonna to spend 40 years listening to them gripe, listen to them complain, listen to them... Lusting after everything imaginable, you're going to have to deal with their hard heads and their hard hearts for 40 years. And when it comes down to the finish line, I'm taking you home before you cross. That's a pretty severe punishment. And what did Moses do that made God that angry? He violated a symbol. God didn't do it because of the rock. He did it because of what the rock represented. And Moses broke the symbol that God established. So I'm telling you, God cares about things when he assigns a meaning to something. God cares about that. He cares about it. Hello? God cares about it. When he establishes a meaning, then God cares about that symbol. Praise God. And so what we need to understand as we get ready to take communion tonight, we need to understand the symbolism of what we are doing. Amen. Now, in Passover, there were many things that they actually partook of that night. When they, when they observed the Passover, they didn't just have bread and the fruit of the vine. They also had roast lamb. They had bitter herbs. There were other things on the table that night. But when we come into the New Testament, obviously we're not going to kill a lamb anymore because Jesus Christ is our lamb. So there are things that were taken out of that Passover celebration because Jesus fulfilled them completely. But there were things that were left in it that God wants us to recognize the symbolism of what we do. Two things, two things that God left in the New Testament celebration. And that was the bread and the juice. So let's talk about the bread for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. Take, eat. This is my this body. This is my body. Which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Yes. Now, now listen. I, I want to make this very clear. We do not believe in the Catholic teaching of transubstantiation. For those of you who don't know what that is, let me explain it to you. They teach that, that, that they call it the host, that wafer, literally, when you put it in your mouth, literally turns into Christ's flesh. And that when you drink from that cup, it literally turns into Christ's blood. We don't believe that. God is not turning us into cannibals. 
In fact, in fact, from the very beginning, when God first gave Noah permission to start eating the flesh of animals, he made it very clear, we're not going to drink blood. You're going to make sure you get the blood out of this. So from the very beginning, God said, I'm not going to have you drinking blood. So that's, it's a false doctrine, all right? We don't believe it literally is. But we do believe, we do believe that that bread represents the body of Christ. And we need to treat it the same way we would as the body of Christ. It's not a joke. It's not a fun thing. It's not something to be, to, to be participated in lightly or jovially. We need to understand what we're doing. Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. You see, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus had already said this. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And so when we take that bread tonight, we're not taking literal flesh. It doesn't turn into literal flesh. But we need to treat it as though it is literally the body of Christ. We need to have that kind of respect and reverence and awe for what we're doing. Praise God. We need to understand, and, and listen, this is why we do it, we, we, we use unleavened bread. We don't just get any bread to serve. We serve unleavened bread at this time, because leaven in the scripture, again, God has made an assignment there. God has used leaven as a symbol. And everywhere that I read in the scripture, that God ever used it as a symbol, it was never a good thing. It was always negative. Um, you can read 1 Corinthians 5. We'll skip over that, but you can write it down. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, where Paul's talking about sin that's in the church, and he says to the church, purge out the old leaven. Paul compares leaven to sin. So why is it important that we have unleavened bread? Because there was no sin in Christ. Are you with me tonight? So that's why we're honoring this symbol. If we use leavened bread, then we would be saying in that symbol that Christ had sin in him. And that's not the case. He knew no sin. Right? So we use unleavened bread because that's a symbol God has recognized. When we come to the communion table, when we come to this time of partaking in the Lord's Supper, we understand that that little piece of bread, uh, you know, at this moment, it becomes sacred to us. And, and it, there's no sin and there's no leaven in it because it's representing the body of Christ and there was no sin in him. Praise God. And then the second thing that that was carried over from the Passover was the juice. Let's read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 11 and 25. After the same manner also, he took the cup 
when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Testament here is, is another word for a covenant. He's saying we had an old covenant under the law, but now we're instituting a new covenant. And the new covenant comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we are about to drink is a symbol that Christ established to represent his blood. Now again, I know there are those out there that teach uh, and, and practice. They actually use alcohol. Uh, they use wine, actual wine, fermented wine uh, during communion. And, and I've taught this church through the years. We don't do that. And again, we don't do it because of the symbolism. Fermentation is a dying process. When things ferment, that means it's dying. And there's no death in his blood. Well, praise God. Amen, amen. Let me read this to you very quickly. Alcohol contaminates the fruit of the vine. The fermenting of the fruit of the vine destroys all food and life-nourishing qualities of the fruit. The alcohol formed during the rotting process is called fermentation. Now get this. this is, I'm just explaining to you what happens. It, it, is, it is a rotting process. And that's what's called fermentation. When, that, when, when the properties of that juice begin to rot, it creates an alcohol that's in that. And so it's rotting. It's dying. It is dead. It becomes a deadly poison. There is no life in alcoholic wine. Jesus' blood was pure. It was warm. It was alive when it flowed from all of his wounds. And that's why only the pure blood of the grape can represent the Savior's blood. Now, I know there are those that, I mean, they're very insistent on this. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but, but listen, there are those out there, apostolics. I'm talking about one God apostolics. They're very insistent on using alcoholic wine because they say that's what Jesus used. Well, there's a couple of interesting things you need to understand. Number one, the scripture never says that he drank wine. It doesn't say that. It specifically refers to it as the fruit of the vine. Jesus never used the word wine in this setting. And, and there are several Greek words that are rendered wine in the New Testament. One of those is alcoholic. And Jesus bypassed that word altogether and used the term fruit of the vine. The apostles... Did not, when Paul talked about take this cup, he didn't say it was a cup of wine. He was very specific in the way that he addressed it. Now, let me tell you something else that may surprise you. 
when God instituted the Passover and told him, I want you to take a lamb, I want you to take bitter herbs, God told him the things that needed to be there, do you know that he never once told them what to drink? It's not in, you can go back and read it. He didn't tell them what to drink. He did not insist to them that you have to drink wine. Now they did drink as any of us would when you're eating a meal. But what's interesting is when we get to the New Testament, Jesus picks up something that was not even commanded as a part of the old, uh, the old covenant. And Jesus puts a focus on that. So there's only two things Jesus focused on, the bread and the fruit of the vine. So he was the one to institute a drink, not in Passover, but in communion. Well, hallelujah. And so what we understand is what we get from that juice, that fruit of the vine, what happens is the crushing of the grape. The inward body membrane and fluid, while still in its skin, part of the cluster is pure and uncontaminated. And when it is squeezed and crushed, there is a releasing of the pure fruit of the vine. And it is that pure fruit that came from the crushing, the squeezing of his body, amen, that brought about, the, that, that represents the pure blood of Jesus Christ. And the alcoholic portion only comes about when that fruit of the vine is allowed to spoil and rot. Well, hallelujah. Now, that's why we don't use wine. We just use the fruit of the vine. In fact, I don't know how many of you know this, but, but Mr. Welch, who founded Welch's Grape Juice, founded it to try to have a way to actually offer to churches uh, a sealed bottle of grape juice for communion was his whole purpose in doing what he did um now it's sold time and again belongs to who knows what conglomerate at this point probably china china owns everything else um but but anyhow that's that's why it was started that's why it was put there and and let me just tell you this i'll never forget when i when i prayed through my pastor at that time, in that little church in North Texas, uh, God had saved him. He had been an alcoholic when God saved him. And I remember him saying to the church, he said, I have not had, since God filled me with the Holy Ghost, I've not had one drink of alcohol. And he said, I've avoided it, I've stayed away from it. And he said, I cannot imagine what it would do to me, even in a moment of communion, if I picked up a glass of alcohol what it might carry me back to, what it might unleash in me and in my flesh. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us, let's read this, Romans chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Read this for me. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a, no stumbling, man block put a stumbling block or an occasion, or to, an fall occasion to fall in his brother's way. In his brother's way. Now, I, you know, some of you may have never had a problem with alcohol. It, it, it might not bother you to take one little sip of, of wine at communion. 
But I'm telling you, if, if you've ever had a problem with it before, we don't know what kind of stumbling block we might be putting in front of a brother to serve him even a little bit when God delivered him from it. And Paul said, don't put a stumbling block in your brother's way. Don't do it. Don't do it. So we don't do it. Praise God. Amen. All right. I've got to hurry here tonight. I want to hurry. Um, how often should we take communion? Well, you know, this is another interesting thing. With Passover, it was set once a year, certain date. It was given. The time of the year was given for Passover. But, but there was never a time given by either Jesus or Paul. Jesus said, as oft as you do it. Read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Yeah. So in verse 25, Paul quotes Jesus in saying that Jesus said, this cup uh, is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it. And then he comes back in verse 26 and said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. So he didn't say how often we do it. He didn't say do it once a year. He said however often you do it, just understand what it's all about. Now, I, I do know, uh, I do know um, one church denomination that, that does communion every week. In fact, when I was in Bible school, uh, we had to visit other churches. It was a part of, of our assignment. We had to visit other denominations and be in a service with them at some point. And so we actually went to one of these churches on a Sunday night, and it was very interesting to me. Uh, the usher would come, and he had two things. He had the communion tray and the offering plate. And you're expected to take from one and put in the other. And I didn't either that night. Um, but, but he didn't say do it every Sunday. I think if you do it every Sunday night, it becomes too commonplace. I think you lose the respect and the reverence. If you do it every week, then, then it, it loses that awe that ought to be there. So I don't think we ought to do it so frequently that it becomes commonplace to us. And neither do I believe that it can only be observed once per year. It's just however often we do it. And, and Paul seems to be more concerned about how we observe it than he is how often we observe it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. All right, now, now I want you to notice this. Here, verse 27, I want you to notice this. Whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Everyone say unworthily. That's not the same as unworthy. Unworthy is an adjective. It would describe the person. Unworthily is an adverb. It describes the action. Are you with me? They're two different words altogether. First time I ever heard, uh, I was sitting in church as a young boy, and I, I knew nothing about God, nothing about the Bible. When I, when I prayed through, I didn't know anything about it. 
And, and uh, I, I listened, and the pastor didn't explain this verse. He just read that whoever shall uh, eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In fact, let's read on verses 29 and 30. Listen, listen to this. This sounds so severe. Listen. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Yeah, now we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back and talk about these verses again in just a moment. But, but here's what I want you to see. That when he read these verses and it said, if you do this unworthily, you're drinking damnation to your soul. And I sat there as a young boy not knowing anything about God in the Bible. And I said, God, I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy. And so I wouldn't partake that night. I refused to get involved that night because I knew I wasn't worthy. And, and he, didn't, he didn't explain to us. And, and it, was, it was, I don't know, sometime later, I don't even remember when, that I finally realized that there was a difference here. He's not saying if you're unworthy, you can't do it. Because if that's the case, none of us could do it. Hello? Are we getting too tired? Can you, can you bear with me for a few more minutes here? Um, look, if, if it was a matter of only those that are worthy can partake, then we'd never do it. None of us deserve it. None of us are worthy of what we have felt here tonight in this service. None of us are worthy to be sitting in this church. None of us are worthy for the Lord to fill us with the Holy Ghost, to let us be baptized in his name and have our sins washed away. None of us are worthy, but that's not what he said. He said, don't do it unworthily. That word means carelessly. It means irreverently. In other words, don't, don't make a joke out of it. Don't be casual about it. When you participate in communion, don't just think, oh, well, so what? A cracker and some juice, so what? You, you don't want to have that attitude. That's where you've got a spiritual problem. When you come, you need to understand this is a great privilege, number one, that God would allow me to participate in this is an honor. I don't deserve this. But God's letting me do it. And secondly, understanding that he's teaching us something through this. When we come, we're looking at the broken body of our Lord. We're looking at the shed blood of our Lord. And we ought to be reminded of the price that he paid. That he loved us enough. We could not be saved had he not done what he did at Calvary. But he did it because he loved us. And we ought to come to the communion plate amen, with a reverence in our heart, with a thanksgiving in our heart, with an appreciation in our heart that God has provided a way of salvation for each of us. It's a very spiritual act. It's a very spiritual act. And we need to look at it this way. Amen. It's not a question of merit. It's a question of outlook. Amen. And really what Paul is saying is if we know, we know in our heart. Now, why was his body broken? Why was his blood shed? Except to redeem us from our fallen nature. 
right? He didn't just save us to take us to heaven. He saved us to make us holy. To be like him. And so if we know there are things in our heart that, that we're doing wrong. That we are sinning. That we have not repented of those sins. And yet we come and we're looking at what represents a body that was broken. And blood that was shed. And we know in our heart we're not living up to what that body was broken for. And what that blood was shed for. We know in our heart. And again, this doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have flaws. But it means that we're not, that, that we're not living in such a way that we're just careless and reckless and living in sin and lying and cheating and doing whatever all the time, knowing about it, not repenting of it, not trying to change. Doesn't mean we don't have any mistakes on our record. But there's a difference between having mistakes and just willfully living in sin. And that's what he's saying. If you're going to come and partake in this, you need to understand he did this to deliver you from sin. So don't walk up here and say, well, I'm, I'm just going to go out and keep living the way I want to live. And I'll just keep committing sin. That's, that's the wrong attitude toward it. Now, if there's some sin in your life you haven't repented of, I want to tell you, you need to understand that if we repent, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Hello? Hello, can you stay with me a few more minutes here tonight? He's faithful and just to forgive us. And even if you're bound tonight by something, I'm telling you, is there power in the blood of Jesus? Can I get a witness tonight that there's power to set people free? Yes, sir. I'm telling you, if you'll repent of whatever it is you're bound by, you can take communion tonight and you can get deliverance. You just don't need to come and partake of it knowing that you're just going to go right back out and keep doing the same old thing. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's go back and uh, this is verses 29 and 30. Read it for me again. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. But uh, for this cause many are, many weak, are weak and sickly, sickly among, among you, you and many, many sleep. sleep. And this was the passage my pastor would, would really stress. This is when I said he, he used to teach this is God's way of cleaning out the church. People take communion. Their heart's not right. They know they're living in sin. They're not trying to repent. They take communion. Paul said that God starts bringing judgment on them. And uh, um, so there, there was that side of it, and there is that side of it. But I'm going to tell you, that should not really even be our focus. We need to understand it. We need to be aware of it. We need to have a fear of God. But that shouldn't be the way we're looking at communion. We need to be looking at it as this is my chance to receive something from him. Well, praise God. We need to get a positive view. I don't ever want us to, to view communion as something that we dread. 
something that we fear doing. I want us to look at it as a time we're excited. Remember, Passover was a celebration. Yes, it brought death to the Egyptians, but it brought freedom to the Israelites. And that's what I'm telling you tonight. As God's people, if you really want victory, you really want deliverance, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to be set free. Well, praise God. The broken body. What did the broken body do? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken. Why was his body broken for us? 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. All right, now listen to this. By whose stripes, By whose stripes you, are, you were healed. You were healed. By whose stripes you are healed. I'm going to tell you why his body was broken. The stripes that were put on his back was so we could be healed. Do you understand that when you come and you partake of this bread tonight, it's a symbol. God honors this symbol. It's like it's the body of Jesus Christ. If you were sick tonight and Jesus stood here physically and you could come and touch his body, I want to ask you, would you go home sick? If he was here physically and you could come, amen, if you could somehow go back in time and kneel at the cross of Calvary and you were sick, I want to ask you, would you leave that place still sick? If you were bound, would you leave that place still bound? No. If that blood literally touched you, you'd know I'm going to get my healing. I'm going to get my deliverance. I'm here to tell you God honors the symbol in the same way. It's just as real in God's eyes. That bread in God's eyes is just as powerful as the flesh of Christ. That juice is just as powerful in God's eyes as the blood of Christ. Praise God. Amen. And that's why he said in verse 25, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. What, what does his blood do for us? Read Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. You know, it's the same phrase as Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now, when I teach on Acts 2.38, and I teach you're baptized for the remission of sins, what have I taught you the word for means? What? In order to obtain, so that you may receive. That's what the word for means. It's the same phrase in Matthew 26, 28, as it is in Acts 2.38. Same phrase exactly in the Greek. And Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed that you may obtain remission of sins. Listen to me, saint of God. When you have sinned and you've done things you shouldn't do, you don't have to go back and get baptized again. 
You can ask God to forgive you. Come to this communion tray, amen, and believe that when I drink this, God is forgiving everything that's on my record. This is for the remission of my sins. It ought to be a time of rejoicing and thanksgiving unto God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not saying just go live in sin and take communion. I'm talking about those that really guilt hangs over you. The devil beats you up constantly over things you've done in the past. I'm going to tell you, leave it at the communion tray tonight. Leave it there and don't pick it up again. My voice is playing out on me. I need somebody to help me here tonight. Amen. Listen to me. If you've been haunted by a past, just ask God, Lord, forgive me and believe that when you take communion tonight, it's all gone. It's all washed away. It's all gone from your record. You're going to walk away clean and pure as the night you got baptized in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So when we take communion, we are ingesting that sacrificial death. We are taking the love of God into our innermost being. This is what he said. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Read that for me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. You're showing his death you're showing his death that's what we're doing tonight we're remembering the death that he died for us oh what love that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he didn't die for us because we were good he didn't die for us because we were righteous he died for us when we were sinners and when we come to take communion tonight it's a reminder look he loved me when I was in sin I know he still loves me tonight I may not be everything I need to be but I know he loves me tonight and I am taking the love of Jesus into my body tonight when I partake of the communion tray. Hallelujah. Amen. When we take communion, we are ingesting his shed blood. We are taking his forgiveness into our innermost being. We are partaking of his broken body. We are bringing healing into our innermost being. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I'm here to tell you tonight, amen, that we are ingesting that broken body, that shed blood, and whatever you need from God, you ought to see this as an opportunity for a miracle. You ought to see it as an opportunity for a miracle tonight. If you're needing healing, it's found in communion. If you're needing forgiveness, it can be found in communion. If you're needing deliverance, it can be found in communion. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful, wonderful opportunity that God gives to us. Amen. Praise God. 
We should expect healing. We should expect forgiveness. We should expect deliverance. We should expect the miraculous. Because God honors that symbol. Are you with me tonight? God honors that symbol. And if you'll understand it, and you'll get a revelation of it, and you honor it the way God honors it, he'll meet you in that moment.